This is a HeadGum Podcast. Today's episode of the Black Girl Nerds Podcast is brought to you by... Go to MyFluffyPuffs.com. On their website, you can try their clay shampoo, their tropical mango whip, or twist frosting with biotin. If you purchase all three, you get 10% off using the promo code HYDRATE10. Go to MyFluffyPuffs.com. Check out the new book by R.J. Joseph called Monstrous Domesticity. Warm and cozy feelings of the maternal and all things domestic, closest to hearth and home, with only faint whispers of the dark and horrific underbelly, the things inside home that aren't spoken of. Monstrous Domesticity, available now on Amazon. Maddie's Rocket. Enjoy the comic book adventures of space pilot Maddie Waddy as she takes on monsters, aliens, and gangsters in this retro-futuristic comic series, Maddie's Rocket. For the best in action, drama, sci-fi, and Afrofuturism, pick up Maddie's Rocket by creator Tim Fielder. Go to dieselfunk.com. Shannon, CG, Lauren, and Mel form... The Nerds of Prey. A group of ladies bonded by comics, gaming, film, television, and fandom culture. Hang out with them bi-weekly as they dig into the very things that make them loud and proud nerds. Available on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher Radio, and Google Play. Also, check out their Patreon at patreon.com backslash nerds of prey. This is Emiyasi Coronaldi, and you're listening to the Black Girl Nerds Podcast. This is Theo Rossi, and you're listening to the Black Girl Nerds Podcast. Hey, I'm Jean Grey. I'm a polymath. If you don't know what that is, look it up. This is Black Girl Nerds Podcast. Yep. Hello, I'm Regina Hall, and you are listening to the Black Girl Nerds Podcast. I am Alelia Bundles, Madam C.J. Walker's great-great-granddaughter and biographer, and you are listening to the Black Girl Nerds Podcast. I'm Cameron Bailey, Artistic Director of the Toronto International Film Festival, and you're now listening to the Black Girl Nerds Podcast. Thanks for tuning into episode 98 of the Black Girl Nerds podcast. My name is Jamie and I am your host. This episode is titled Doctor Who, Blackish, and Writing Novels. Three segments. In our first segment, we invite back Marcus Scribner. Marcus Scribner, you know him best as Andre Johnson on the hit ABC series Blackish. And he's having a one on one interview with Tora. 
In our second segment, we go back to New York Comic Con. Remember New York Comic Con? Well, guess what? We have an interview with Pearl Mackey. Mel interviews her in a roundtable format and talks to her about what it's like to be Doctor Who's latest companion. Pearl Mackey's excited about her new role, and she shares all about it here in this segment. In our third segment, Tora does a one-on-one interview with Cerise Rennie Murphy, yet another BGM podcast guest that has come back for the second time to chat with us. Cerise is the author of the Order of the Sears series, and she gives us some incredible insight and information about what it is to be an author and novelist. This, again, is a one-on-one with Tora. So that is our show amazing guests marcus scribner pearl Mackey, cerise rennie murphy you have got a show in store for you and thanks so much for keeping us in your podcast rotation it's great to come back from our holiday break this is our first episode of 2017 and stay tuned later in the show to listen to a preview of a new podcast that i am executive producing along with my co-host stephanie williams of the lemonade show And if you have not done so already, go to UniversalFanCon.com. It's the first con devoted to diversity. We're featuring women, people of color, people in the LGBTQ community, the disabled. Everyone here is going to have a voice and be represented at this con. But we need your help. We still have a few days left on our Kickstarter. So if you go to that website, donate contribute what you can. We actually made our Kickstarter goal already, but this message is for those of you that want to get those passes at a discounted rate. Because once the con starts and we start selling passes through the website and the portal, they're not going to be as inexpensive as what you see there on the site. So thanks so much for tuning into this episode, BGN 98, Doctor Who, Blackish, and Writing Novels. Enjoy! Marcus Scribner plays the role of Andre Johnson on the ABC show Blackish. Marcus has garnered an NAACP Image Award for the show, and it has been honored with the prestigious Peabody Award and multiple NAACP awards and Emmy nominations. Marcus himself has always loved animation, and it was his dream come true to be the rambunctious dinosaur Buck in Pixar's The Good Dinosaur and to become a part of the DreamWorks family in the animated series, Home, Adventures with Tip and O, airing on Netflix. Marcus is also an honor student who is working diligently towards his dream of attending one of the great Pac-12 universities, Stanford and UCLA being his top choice. All right, you guys, I'm Tora, and I have Marcus here with me from Blackish. Thank you so much for coming back on with Black Girl Nerds. We're so happy to have you. Yeah, thank you for having me here. I'm pumped. I'm ready to go. <laughs> so yeah, um, how have you been since you came on the first time? I've been fantastic. Just been filming a, a bunch of episodes for Blackish. We're actually off right now. We're on hiatus, which is a really exciting thing for me. Two weeks of doing homework and basically anything that I want. I've got a lot of appointments though to do and all that kind of stuff, but it's it's been a blast. I would imagine that that's fun. Yeah. 
except for me because I was a super nerd. I don't think I've ever heard anybody be like, "Yeah, I got to go do homework." Yeah. <laughs> no, but honestly, like it's like the highlight of hiatuses because you're able to like actually get a bunch of homework done and just like it it feels great, man. You know what I mean? <laughs> you're in school. How do you how do you manage that? I think that it requires just a perfect balance between making sure that you're getting your academic studies done when you get home, but then also at the same time, making sure that when you get home, you have a relaxing experience as well, because obviously it's like, it's the same thing as going to work. You work for 10 and a half hours a day, um, you do three hours of school on set, but then you have to go home and then do a bunch more schoolwork. So I feel like it's finding the perfect balance between making sure that all of your assignments are done for the day, but at the same time, getting getting those Z's and getting those, uh, your me time in. <laughs> that's really, it's really helped me. I think, I think as, as the show has continued, I've, I've finally figured out like a pattern of like, Oh, today is a perfect day to do homework today. I'm tired out of my mind. Maybe I shouldn't do homework. So it's just, it's, it's really, uh, it's just time management. Wow. I did not figure out time management until like senior year of college. So you got it all together. <laughs> before blackish i was i'm literally the most unorganized person on this planet i was in school i would always make sure that my assignments were turned in but every single project assignment was done the day before but um i think it's because like last second just inspired genius for me like it, it allowed me to like come up with better ideas when i wait until the last second not saying that anybody else out there should do that, but I know most people do, so. <laughs> That's what I say as well. But. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, we're all about the nerdy on Black Girl Nerds. So what would mm-hmm. you say is your nerdiest moment so far? Like, <laughs> Okay. Nerdiest moment so far? Nerdiest moment so far for me in life in general is going to the League of Legends Championship Finals, which is a video game. But they actually have, like, a championship series, and, like, they actually like sports. There's this thing called LCS, which is League Championship Series, and all all this cool stuff. And um, they held it at Staples Center, and they sold out the whole arena to watch people play a video game. So, that was probably my nerdiest moment. It was pretty crazy. My nerdiest moment on the show for Junior, I think that will, would have to be Junior's uh, Whistledore costume. That, <laughs> probably my favorite and most nerdy moment for junior junior's just uh he's a he's a real character that guy so on the vip episode where you guys went to um disney world you meet a black girl nerd and you have the cutest connection with her Mm -hmm. um and obviously (laughs) the connection is lost (laughs) because of junior's klutziness yes yes, yes. (laughs) (laughs) which is obviously an endearing yeah endearing characteristic exactly (laughs) i'm sure he tells himself that every day (laughs) but it is endearing i think that's what people love about junior the fact that he's the age that he is in this time and he's still so gullible and so just he's a kid still so do you think we'll see more of that do you think we'll see more of him meeting nerdy black girls or do you think we'll see um more of him people see him trying to get girls that are you know cooler (laughs) (laughs) i think that junior he really as a person i feel like he stays true to his heart 
and to to what he knows and what he believes in and what he finds interesting. So I think he will definitely continue to to go for anybody who is interested in the same things as him, which is usually nerdy things like uh, video games, Star Wars, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, I think that he'll continue to go for blurds <laughs> or anybody um, in future episodes will explore this more. <laughs> I was just in love with that scene as a black girl nerd who <laughs> had been ignored by a black guy nerd <laughs> her whole life. I was just like, what? He likes her? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Junior is hilarious, and I feel like that moment right there was a perfect example of his character and just who he is as yeah. a person. So, recently on Blackish, we've seen them putting Junior into arcs that are covering everything from racial discrimination as a black man mm-hmm. to white guilt to that whole fathers in the animal kingdom eat their young mm-hmm. stereotype in the Purge episode. So, do you find yourself having those conversations with other castmates, or it's spilling over into your regular life? I think that a lot of the topics that we cover on Blackish, I feel like black people in general, we cover these topics at home and talk about them, but I feel like Blackish is a good outlet to start up these conversations. A lot of these things I've already discussed with my parents and maybe even the episodes like uh the hope episode really uh, inspired us to start up a conversation with our within our own family about police brutality and what was happening in the world and and just just what what's it like to be a black man in 2016 and for my sister a black woman i think it's it definitely helps to start those conversations the storylines that we have on blackish but a lot of the things i've discussed with my parents already and cover with just other people as well. <laughs> so you won an NAACP Image Award. What was that like? That was mind-blowing. <laughs> <laughs> Going there and just like, I was ready for somebody else to win the award. I don't mean to like self-deprecate or, or self-deprecate or whatever, but um, I was going in expecting someone else to win the award. To hear my name announced, I was like, oh, snap, let's get it. I'm hyped. And so I went up on stage and I did like the most awkward speech of 2016. And it it was just, it was a really cool experience because the award just, I mean, it means so much to people of color and and especially me because just, just watching all these uh, amazing and talented actors who look like me accept these awards, it it really inspired me to, to want to get one and just, just try my hardest every single day. So... What kind of character development would you like to see most from Junior? Character development from Junior. You know, I actually like what they're doing with Junior this season where he's finally growing up and like kind of challenging Dre and uh, standing up to him in some ways and uh, not just being a pushover all the time. I think that's one of the endearing, like you said, aspects of Junior, the fact that he's so gullible and the fact that he's so... uh, He's for anything, and uh, he believes anything that somebody says, and, and he, he knows what he loves, and he stays true to what he loves. But I feel like at some point, Junior, is, he, he's growing up, so <clears throat> he's starting to challenge his father. You know how his dad is always hard on Junior and never uh, never gives him a break about anything? So he, he's finally standing up to that. He's, he's coming into his own. He's becoming a man. So I think there's just some exciting aspects that 
this season have explored so far and will explore more about Junior getting older. I love Junior's character so much. Just in general, he's one of my favorites just because he challenges the idea of monolithic blackness and he mm-hmm. challenges that for his father like constantly. <laughs> and he's, he does that in the most gentle ways. Just like, Dad, just accept me. Like, I'm not going to change Exactly. I'm just going to keep being me. Yeah. (laughs) I think that's what's so awesome about Junior as well. Because Junior is like one of the low key, he's the wisest person on the show. Like, from the beginning of almost every single episode, Junior knows what the right thing to do is. And his parents sway him in the wrong direction. (laughs) And then he comes back to the path that he had decided on before. And uh, that's what usually solves things. So I like to say that Loki Jr. is the wisest person on the show. I mean, of course, he has his, his really not that smart moments when he's dealing with the twins who are like levels above everybody on the show in uh, intelligence. But uh, <laughs> it's uh, it's pretty cool to find that Junior. I is... definitely agree. Yeah, I feel like I feel like Dre is always the one who's having the meltdowns, the teenage angst. Dre is more angsty than Junior, so it's, it's exactly. pretty... I'm I'm always watching, like, why are you ruining this for him? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> what are you doing? This isn't about you. Yeah. <laughs> Especially the election episode, I was just... Mm. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that was, yeah, that was uh, an interesting decision on Dre's part to help Junior get elected. But you know what I thought was pretty awesome is the fact that Junior is, I forget, I think it's student body president of his school now. So that's exciting and something that we're looking forward to exploring more in this uh, upcoming season and just some of the some of the things that he tries to do with the school. It is. And I love the parallel that, they're, that they did between him and Obama, him yes. getting into a leadership role where he's trying to fix something that's... <laughs> Horribly yeah. broken. Horribly <laughs> broken. Stressed out. Yes, very broken. <laughs> Just recently I was watching something on CNN and it was like, yeah, um, we're hoping that the President Obama, his transition team will do something for Trump like uh, George W. Bush's transition team did for Obama and make the transition smooth. And I was like, smooth, bruh, smooth. <laughs> Alright, you know, I just, I just checked out of all this politics now. That's just this... That's like, he's transitioning into, like, the depths of hell. What? I would love to see an episode where they're kind of just, like, blaming Junior for all of the problems. Mm-hmm. As the way they did Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Like, and all of this is his fault, and he's... Yeah, I know. Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, I love that parallel between... Um, Obama's story and, and Junior's as well. It has a lot of uh, funny moments between... It creates a lot of funny moments between Dre and Junior because it's like one of the only episodes where Dre actually seems to love his child because he sees Obama in him. Yes. <laughs> yeah, so... <laughs> it's pretty interesting. Not a conditional pride. Just like... Yeah. Complete pride in Com- Complete pride. Like, he's just, you just take, like, Junior actually became president of the United States of America. <laughs> and I love that. And I love the conversations around masculinity that they have. And I, I think it's important to show that yeah. on, a, on a show 
for black people because those aren't those are conversations that black men need to have. So I, I appreciate mm-hmm. Portraying this character so well, so <laughs> yeah, and I also enjoy because um, we also on the show tackle a lot of the feminine issues as well. Because Rainbow definitely, I would consider a feminist on our show, in in my opinion at least. And her and Zoe, they they talk about a lot of those issues as well. We have some cool episodes coming up with that. That's pretty exciting. <laughs> <laughs> what is your ideal movie role? So <laughs> somebody. <laughs> Something that I can book. No. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I know that you're into, like, science fiction Mm -hmm. and all of that as well. So if you could just book anything you wanted, what would would it be? Your ideal? I'm sure that every single 16-year-old actor has said this at one one point or another, but a superhero, okay? (laughs) A Marvel superhero would be sick. I've already got my eyes on a amazing superhero that in the marvel universe that uh is black and is a younger kid and uh, that's miles morales yeah yeah it's i I feel like miles morales is like such a cool spider-man because there's so many spider Spider spider-man from like different universes like noir spider-man 2034 or something i forget yeah it's just i feel like miles morales is just an amazing superhero and he just he has such a great personality and it's something that I definitely love to see on on screen because he's a, he's a bit of a blurred. He's a bit of a blurred. Definitely is, and now I will never be able to not see you as Miles Morales. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> so a superhero role would just be off the chizang. <laughs> we put it into the universe, and it's going to come to you. <laughs> yes, exactly. Thank you very much. I'm putting it into the universe right now. Using my chakras and all the energy that I've gathered. My chi. <laughs> Speaking of gathering chi and chakra, you did have um, your uncle show up this season. Um, oh, yes. What was working with him like? I just got to say, I love that transition. Speaking of chi, <laughs> Johan definitely is all about that chi. Uh, but no. <laughs> Sorry, can you repeat the question again? <laughs> What was working with David like? Um, I feel like just working with any tone, Tony Award winning uh, star is, is an amazing experience. But then having it be David Diggs from Hamilton, <laughs> it was it was just a blessing. I mean, the guy is super cool, super nice. And I feel like his character provides so much to the show. And I think that I feel like Uncle Johan is Junior's older self. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like Junior will grow up to become that. Maybe not as cool, but, I mean, I feel like they have the same, like, kind of attitude about the world, so. Johan cool? <laughs> I mean, he's, he's, he's got the long hair going on, you know what I mean? So, and, and the goatee, so I think that is kind of cool, but, uh, yeah. He went to college and decided he was cool. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I think uh, maybe Johan is the only person that thinks he's cool. Yeah. He's actually slightly obnoxious if you think about it, but but uh, yeah, he's just he's he's a really great actor to work with. Just a lot of fun, and I feel like his character really fits into the theme of the show and just what we're all about. And he adds a different perspective and a different viewpoint that we, I don't think we've seen from any other characters. And I feel like we all have a family member who's like Johan, spitting spoken word every chance they get. So uh, yeah, I was that family member. Yeah. <laughs> Going to slam poetry cafes. Yeah. 
forehead. <laughs> yeah, I actually still remember Johan's poem from the episode. I don't know why. This thing is just stuck in my head. Please do it. Please. All right, all right. Here we go. Here we go. I've got a telescope for my third eye. I guess you've heard I moved to Sherman Oaks to stay with my sister's folks. Egg whites on my toast. Too much cholesterol in the yolks. They call me Johan. <laughs> yeah, yeah, everybody just snap, snap, snap. Yeah. Oh my god, that is so... <laughs> I don't know why I have that memorized. It's just like my favorite, like... I don't know, I just love that quote. It's, it's pretty funny. So good. <laughs> I don't know if you watched Parks and Recreations, but there's this moment where Leslie Nope goes, anything can be a slam poem if you sing it like this. Yeah, it's so true. You just have to, you have to say it like that. Otherwise, it's not a slam poem. But if it's something that isn't a slam poem, it can be converted into a slam poem if you say it like that. <laughs> it really can. Mm-hmm. I like toast. Oh God! Now, now I'm thinking about toast in really deep ways. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Yeah. I guess toast could be an example of the society that. No. We're all toast. We're all toast, and the egg whites is the oppression that the government provides, dude. We're all just cracked shells. Yeah. <laughs> We're all just cracked. <laughs> Okay, so, last question. The Walking Dead. Yes. How did you feel Don't, don't even, I, I can't express in the words. I, I mean, I kind of saw it coming because his character kind of died off before that, but, you, you know what I'm saying? Like, it still hurts, you know? I feel like I've grown so attached. Am I allowed to put spoilers in here? You know I'm gonna say spoiler warning before what I say, but um, if you haven't watched The Walking Dead or that episode of The Walking Dead that shall not be named, so long. <laughs> yeah, yes, uh, I feel like the the death that they gave Glenn was just so it was so brutal, <laughs> you know what I mean? And it was just like it it made me sad, very sad. Especially after last season, like we went yeah, I know after last life. season they tugged at our emo- our heartstrings. Acting like Glenn was dead, and now he got a baby on the way, and then they gonna kill him. How they gonna do that? I feel like also like Loki. I was pretty sad about Abraham's death as well, and I feel like his death was so. But I feel like his death was so characteristic of of him, just like <laughs> the way he just spit at Negan with that comet before he died. So epic. But yeah, it made me sad. I'm sad. Now you got me sad right now. <laughs> okay, I'll cheer you up. I'll cheer you up. Star Wars. Okay. Rogue One. Okay. Freaking <laughs> Darth Vader in the trail. most recent trailer. Let's get it. I'm hyped. Right? <laughs> I'm pumped for Rogue One. Can't wait to see what they're doing. I have no clue what's going to happen. But, you know, being a part of the Disney family definitely has its perks. So hopefully we get to go to a screener before it comes out. I'm hyped. All right, well, thank you so much for doing this interview. Um, this was amazing. We appreciate you here at Black Girl Nerds for all that you do on Blackish, and we look forward to all of your future amazing work, especially as Mel Brown. <laughs>
Pearl Mackey is a British <laughs> actress, well. dancer, and singer. She was named in April of last year as being chosen by the BBC to play Bill Potts, the next companion to the Doctor in the long-running TV series Doctor Who. Mackey is a 2010 graduate of Bristol Old Vic Theatre School. Her first major TV role came out in 2014 when she played Anne-Marie Fraser in BBC One weekday afternoon soap opera Doctors. And listen closely to the part where Pearl Mackey recognizes our outlet, Black Girl Nerds. Yeah, over here it is. Yeah, yeah. We were we did a day in Toronto before this, which was lovely. So who do we have here? Yeah. Uh, I Yes. Yeah. Hey! Are you Look at you! How's it going? We are so excited. I have friends who have never watched Doctor Who. Oh, who serious? Heard signing on. They're like, oh, I'm going to start watching that show now. I'm good. Yes. That's brilliant. That's what we want. Yeah. So how excited were you when you got the part? I mean, on a scale of one to excited, I was excited. <laughs> <laughs> like, really, yeah. So excited. I mean, this is the most, the most incredible thing that has ever happened to me so I'm, I'm loving it it's, it's great it's like it's like being welcomed into a into an amazing family um, yeah and also I you know get to travel through time and space which is pretty sick <laughs> yeah it's, it's amazing man it's, it's really good is it sort of unlike anything else in the amount of like secrecy and like press and yeah yeah I mean the secrecy around uh, sort of when I got the job was Mad. I mean, it was insane. I had to keep it secret for like two months. Yeah, which was crazy. My friends were like, where are you? So I was like, I can't really go out because like, oh, I'm not very good at like lying to people I've known for, you know, 20 years, like my whole life. Like, you know, I'm not. And so they were just like, well, I was just, I was just been working, you know, I was just, I was just working. I've just, just been busy. But yeah, it's, um, it, it's mad. I mean, when I, when I told my mum when I first got the job, uh, I mean, when my agent called me, even she, uh, I was like, "Are you, are you sure?" I had to call her back like two hours later and be like, "Sorry, did I, did you actually just call me and tell me that I, I just, I got the job?" Because I mean, I've imagined this loads of times since, since the audition. I just need to know for sure. We and she's like, "Yeah, you did." But I mean, yeah, it was, it's, it's mad. The, the secrecy has been insane. I mean, when we shot the trailer, we, we went, uh, you know, we had. I was doing a play at the time in the West End, and. Um, they like, like stole me away in a car, drove me up to Cardiff. They were like, we can't bring a Dalek to London, you know. <laughs> they were like, people would be like, what is going on there? Yeah. Hold on, I know what they're shooting. Yeah, so we did that, you know, in the middle of the night, and uh, the car broke down on the way, and it was it was it was mad. Yeah, I had about three minutes sleep because I was so nervous, and then got there the next day and shot it, and then couldn't even tell anyone after that that I'd been there. I was just like, I've just been to Wales for the night and done shot something that's going to be on TV. It's going to be announced for like you know one of the biggest shows in the world. And you know, I want to tell everyone, but I can't tell anyone. It was, it was insane. It was crazy. I mean, it's a fun kind of secrecy. I mean, it's yeah. not like we need to get codes we're keeping. Right? <laughs> <laughs> it's, like, it's like, but you know, we knew we had something so special with Pearl and Peter, and we were like, we want everyone to find out together. Because like, if you just put like a name out or a picture of any kind of what does that mean? But we thought mm. the audition was so good. It was actually one of the scenes we did in the audition. Which yeah, kind of yeah, yeah. On the trail. But it was more about. So we do the secrecy so that everyone can find out together. Because mm. we know the first band right where we were. We all want them to get stuff at the same time. So that's yeah, fine. I think it's great as well. It's nice. We don't do it just to torment people. <laughs> <laughs> the character is obviously 
brought to you as as fully formed as possible. Yeah. Is there anything that you sort of, a little twist you gave to it or anything personal that you put into the character? Um, I mean, from from my side, uh, when I when I got Stephen's scripts, I uh, got a couple of scenes for, for the audition. I I was like, I think it's still there. She was all there. I I read her and was like, I think I know her. I think I I think I understand. I was like, I don't think there's much that I need to do in order to to like to understand her and to get into her mind. I mean, I learned myself. Different, but I don't. I am. Um, for me, she was there. She was. I mean, maybe that was the way that I connected yeah. with the character on a personal level, anyway. But I mean, when yeah. you came in the room, what you did with your bill was what we wanted. Mm. And you know, and Stephen. <laughs> yes. But I know it was. You know, and it's. We write the show as we go along, so it's, so it's a combination of what Pearl brings to it and what kind of a character was, and so it's kind of a bit more organic. Mm, yeah, which is which is great. It's that's a it's a wonderful opportunity to be able to work on something that you're kind of creating at the same time as well you know it's not I've, I've not had experience of doing that before and it's 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 wonderful like reading a script and being like hey I think I said that that was cool so yeah it's, it's great man it's such a it's, it's an amazing platform it's an amazing show to work on and it opens a lot of doors I mean David Tennant Post Show was able to do any theatrical show that he, he named it he had to do it yeah man and, I want to play Hamlet too the, do you know what I mean it's theatrical actor <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, what, what, yeah, sign it up on Broadway. Come yes. on, yeah. if, you, if you could, if you could mount any show, if you could be in any theatrical show, Broadway, West End, whatever. <laughs> that means something different. Like, what's, yeah, what's, the, what's, the, what's, the, what's the what's the dream role? What's the dream show? I want to play Lady Macbeth. Fair. At some point in my life, that's got that's got to happen. I need to do that. Um, but I, I I love new writing as well. You know, I mean. One of the biggest shows in Broadway at the moment is Hamilton, isn't it? I'm, yeah. I can't get a ticket for love nor money. But if anyone wants to get me a ticket, <laughs> you get me a ticket. <laughs> you know, that's what I'm saying. And you know, that's a that's a new a new piece that's been written. Um, and I saw the Color Purple when it was in London as well, and that was new. That was sick. Cynthia's killing it. But uh, yeah, I mean, I think new new writing is amazing, and I think it's it's um, whilst I obviously love the classics, I love I love Shakespeare, I love um, you know, yeah. Arthur Miller, I Arthur Miller play, you know, there's there's a lot out there that I'd love to explore. But there's also hopefully a lot that hasn't been written yet that I'd love to explore as well. We'll just hook so you up with Lin Manuel. How hard could that be? Well, you're saying, and we'll just yeah, put yeah, you yeah, in the yeah, next yeah. show. Yeah. Yeah. Easy, easy. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'll just holler at him later. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Cool, cool. I'll tweet him. Yeah, nice. Thanks. Thanks for that, mate. Yeah. <laughs> um, so you were talking that one of the things about Doctor Who is that it's at the same, it is brand new all the time and at the same time a long-standing tradition. Mm. So we talk about where your character fits in like the long tradition of companions while also being brand new. Like what does yeah. you have in common and what is, is different? I think something that is that is really new about Bill and that kind of that allows her to kind of encompass that sort of uh, the kind of the iconic and the and the new is that she's so she's so completely fresh to this world she has absolutely no knowledge of it at all and so in a way that kind of allows the show to ask those kind of iconic questions that haven't been asked for a really long time but then brings a freshness to it where Bill reacts in a way that the doctor doesn't necessarily expect her to and the audience doesn't necessarily expect as well so yeah you get the you get the kind of show that you know and love and you you know you get the lines like it's bigger on the inside than it is on the outside <laughs> but you you also you know you get a freshness as well and you're seeing the doctor's kind of challenged in the way that she's 
responding to those situations too and I think that's that's quite an exciting thing to watch unfold yeah. since it changes by the minute if the TARDIS showed up today this right now right now where would you go because I feel uh, like that by the second we couldn't leave could be outside. we'd have to stay here we yeah 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 alright after, 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 after. No, but we could go back to now couldn't oh, we yeah. so yeah alright uh, I would go back to 1960s 1970s New York yeah where would you go? Uh, I want to go and see a Shakespeare play. Oh, like that. Oh, that's great. That's a win. Like, I should know. I kind of want to see him in the wings going, yeah, my line doesn't work. Like, yeah, yeah. Going like, that joke was funny in rehearsal. If they actually have the, like, the, the lines like just written on a piece of paper, like you didn't have the whole script, you just had your cue, just your cue, and then your script. That would be sick. I'm going to take that. <laughs> Thank you so much. <laughs> nice to meet you guys. Thank you. <laughs>
just gonna start off with some light ones and then we'll delve into the meat of things, okay? I just kind of wanted to know, you know, basic author question. <laughs> when did you first realize that writing was something that you were good at, something that you wanted to pursue? Well, I never thought I'd be a writer. I mean, I've been an avid reader since I was a little girl, but never thought that writing would be something that I wanted to do even. I've written poetry since I was like 11, never shared it with anybody, never wanted to. But I think the first time I really wanted to write something was a short fan fiction piece for the X-Files. And it took like another decade for me to write another fan fiction piece, which combined Twilight with a with a Hallmark movie <laughs> to write this story. And the first time I realized that I I really loved to write was writing that story, which was called Spirit to Flesh. And I posted it on fanfiction.net and people read it, understood it, and liked it. And that's when I realized I could communicate through writing. But I still didn't think I would be a writer until, or I was a writer, until the idea for Order of the Seers, my first science fiction novel, came to me. So what purpose does writing serve within your life? For some, I know writing is kind of a cathartic form of therapy. For some, it's where they go kind of just to empty out all of the collective thoughts that are kind of cluttering up their brain. For some, it's, you know, just where they get out all those feelings <laughs> that they've been mm -hmm. repressing. So what, is it, what does it do for you? That's a good question. You know, in terms of poetry, it's definitely getting my thoughts out and my emotions about the world or whatever I'm going through. But for storytelling and, and novel writing, really writing is about serving the story. I feel like my stories are given to me. I get them in dreams or visions. And I feel like each story is a gift and a gift is not complete until it's shared. So every story idea I have, I know has a purpose that is beyond me. And so as a writer, I get the honor of telling these characters stories. And it is a calling and a privilege. And it's one that I answer, you know, humbly. So I guess to answer your question, you know, writing novels is about being obedient to the gift that I've been given, which is to tell a story. So that's what I get from it. And then when I read that first draft back, I find out how I'm working out all my stuff. <laughs> but I never go into it thinking this story is about me and my struggles to find myself. You know, I'm thinking, oh, I'm telling Liam and Lily's story. or I'm telling Marcus's story. And then it's after. So it's very unconscious going in. And then when I read that first draft, I'm like, oops. <laughs> I had a little bit more of me than I thought. <laughs> Oh, oh, well, here you go again. <laughs> Book two. Yeah. I hope that answered it your question. It really did. It did. That was, you're basically an oracle is what I got. I'm just kidding. <laughs> oh, for, I'm just kidding. you cry. You cry. <laughs> it, it, it's very much, you know, my, my measure for whether or not I've done a good job with my story is always when I read it back, do I see the picture that I had in my head when I first envisioned this scene or this character or whatever is going on? And if the answer is yes, then I know that I've 
done my job telling their story because the story in my head is the pure story. And then the story on the paper is kind of the best I can do. <laughs> you know what I mean? So if I don't res, if it doesn't sort of reverberate and, and resonate back for me, then I know I have more work to do. That's why I quit painting because the picture on the paper never came out to what the picture in my head was. <laughs> oh man. Well, I can't draw. I'm not a visual artist in any way. I can't draw to save my soul, but I don't know if painting is like writing. Like the more you do it, the better you yeah, get. Yeah, that's what I was told by my art teachers, but I'm more of one of those conquer things people. Uh -huh. <laughs> How do you conquer if you quit? I know, right? So one of the first things I noticed while reading this was just how gorgeously written the intimacy was within To Find You because yeah. I've read many novels where they they write intimacy and we end up kind of with these kind of torrid descriptions that are kind of just flat and just they're kind of just describing anatomy and kind of gets weird <laughs> but you just yeah. wrote something where I didn't feel like an awkward voyeur I felt like <laughs> something beautiful was happening and I felt appreciative to be a part of the world that you were creating and how do you write languages of love versus sex scenes like how does that happen oh man well first of all thank you I'm, I'm glad that it touched you that way it gets back to the story in my head I, you know, different authors, writers connect with different things. I always connect with emotion. You know, you've read the books, you know, I don't think I ever describe what someone is wearing. I think maybe until part three, would, like you hear she's putting on a coat. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? And some writers are really connect to the atmosphere. You know, what time is it? What's the sky look like? I don't really care that much unless it's, directly related to the plot. I always connect with the emotion. My goal is always to have you feel what the character is feeling. And so I think I come into every scene, including love scenes, that way. And if the emotion is raw, then you're going to feel that. And it's interesting, the first love scene I ever wrote was in order of the Sears, and it was written from a male perspective, a very young male. Young males are very visual, and it was very emotional for him. He loved this woman so much, and everything about it was like this feast of sight and sound and everything. And, you know, it's funny, some people were uncomfortable with it. But when I read this scene over, it's exactly where Liam was at that moment. And you feel the emotion of it. And maybe you're uncomfortable with that, but that's where he was as a young male. And with To Find You, you know, some of the characters are younger, but not in the same way. Their, their emotion is more mature. Their understanding of themselves is more mature and the love that they have uh, for each other. And I'm just trying to stick with that. And then the other stuff is just filler. You know what I mean? That's That's how I approach it, so kind of connecting with that almost you you wrote these characters that were so individually themselves yet they still at the core shared the same soul 
and yet you managed to because I kept I kept thinking as I got to each part like how <laughs> I'm reading this in different voices these are very different people and I'm still finding the person underneath I'm still finding the soul <laughs> and I kept marveling I kept stopping thinking this is miraculous. Like, who, who is this? Who did this? <laughs> because that, that to do something like that, like, and it really felt like each person's soul was, you know, a part of each care. And, and that's, that was miraculous to me. And I had no clue how you did that. <laughs> <laughs> even when you got to the point where you were writing as different genders, even I, I was still like, well, wow, this is <laughs> how, <laughs> you know, each part of us, we're all different. There are all so many different facets within each person. Mm -hmm. Right. And so each time period gets to, I, I'm trying to, and as I say, I'm trying to do this, this is all in retrospect. In the beginning, I'm just writing what's in my head. You know, I'm just trying to get it down. But afterwards, I'm trying to have you experience different elements of these characters through time. So in the beginning, you see them, they're already in love. They know each other. They're about to get married. So you've missed the courtship. You know what I mean? You've missed that sort of tension and how do we get to know each other? You get a little bit of that, but not much. So part two was my time to give you a chance to get to know, to see these characters getting to know each other. But things aren't quite like they were in, in part one. So I got a chance to play with Ama's skepticism. Because when you're meeting someone, it's not like, oh, I mean, I guess I could have written it like, oh, my God, like, I love you and you love me. And, but, you know, I wasn't writing a love at first sight thing. You know what I mean? Because the book would be pretty short then, right? You gave, him, <laughs> so, you gave him a chance to actually woo her. But yeah, time. you get to see me. <laughs> exactly. So when you first meet someone, you might be attracted to them, but you're a little skeptical. And absolutely, Satish is skeptical, you know what I mean? For very good reason. And then it was just so much fun to... Eco in part one is so certain about his life. Everything is sort of laid out for him. But you meet August and he has to work a lot harder for that. It was interesting to me, not to give too much away, but to have him, you know, in part one... There's Eco and he's strong and he's certain and he knows who he is. And in part two, Eco is literally like the very opposite of what he was in part one. And I just imagined for a soul what it must be like to have your whole life flipped over. You know what I mean? And I, I wanted to play with that. And how do you find strength when you don't even recognize your own reflection? You know something's wrong about you. But you don't know what that is. Right. And you know, not to give anything too much away, but I did notice that there was kind of a theme of captivity. So there was this one little quote from, I think, part three. And it's, oh. though the chains he wore were now yeah. invisible, just like before, there was no way she could free him. And yeah. I cried. Just a little bit <laughs> because 
I know Ikiru is such a heartbreaking <laughs> Just a little bit. I mean, there were, there were, I cried a lot throughout the book. I'm not oh. going to lie. But that part especially, because I just, it made me realize that this book wasn't just about the love story. It was about, it felt like that moment, again, not giving too much away, that moment at the beginning created a catalyst where their souls needed to find not just each other, but freedom. Yes, very much so. Thank you. So, if, you have no idea. You put these little breath Now I'm about to cry. <laughs> you put these little things in or you see these themes in your mind and you're trying to put them down, but you have no idea if anybody's going to get it or anybody's going to care. But absolutely. Yeah. Each, each, I believe, I mean, I didn't really choose most of the time frames. They came to me. You know, I saw them. The last time frame I saw, and it was going to be a different time frame. I knew it would be near future, but I didn't know it would be so far in the future. And I just thought, oh, how interesting. You know, I never see characters of color in a love story right. in the future. Right. You know what I mean? And I thought, I'm a sci-fi writer. Like, I could totally write that. <laughs> and I thought there that'd be something different. A love story in the future? <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah, I was like, oh my gosh, I would, you know, that's something that I'm into. And I thought that's something unique that maybe I could bring to a historical romance that you're not used to seeing. But absolutely, there's, you know, I don't believe that there's, I don't personally believe in love without knowledge of self. I mean, true love, real love without knowledge of self, because you are what you bring to the relationship. And if you don't know who you are, you're just headed for trouble. You know what I mean? Right. You can't articulate your needs, your wants, your desires, you know, and as someone who's been like that in a relationship, it's just more drama than you need. So for each character, I wanted them to find themselves as well. Because then what they gave to each other would be stronger, would be real, right. you know? Right. So he had to be certain. That's right. That's right. Oh, that's lovely. That's lovely. <laughs> I'm about to cry again. <laughs> oh, no. No, it's I'll happy tears. You. It's happy tears. <laughs> okay. So I read the book thinking this seems so very, very linguistically, historically, and scientifically just accurate. Like all of this is so smart. Like I'm smart. She's smart. We're all smart. We're black girl nerds. We're totally right. smart. Like, how much research did you put into this book? Like, I know that you had the original, but I, after writing the book, did you have to go back and do research for it? Oh, no. Even, um, even before I wrote it, I had to do research. Because, you know, it's funny. You get a picture in your mind, but the more research you do, the clearer the picture right. is. Because the truth comes out. And, you know, it's like the characters, they give me a story, but they know I don't have the background. So they can't tell me all of it. Right. I have to almost discover it. So before, you know, doing a historical romance, you know, you're you're up against people who, you know, if I'm saying to a historical romance lover, here's my historical romance, they're used to accuracy. They're used to, so, you know, you can't play around <laughs> with that. So even um, I did the basic outline, like, okay, I know this is starting around, you know, 1750s Ghana, 
there's a wedding, I need to research what wedding traditions look like, what all that. And as I research, then the, then the characters can trust me to say, yeah, we do this and this and this within this framework that you now understand. Right. Yeah. There was a ton of research for each section, but you know, I, I really enjoyed it. It was different from what I had to do for my other books. Even when you're writing science fiction and fantasy, there's always research involved, but this was very different because I knew that there was there was a record that could prove me wrong. You know what I mean? The sec part two is it actually takes place during the Sepoy Revolution in India, right before the British Empire claims India as a colony. And they did that as a result of this revolt that happens in part two. So that was really exciting and something I knew absolutely nothing about. The idea for part three, part of it resonated from this book that this book cover I saw and the book was about black women in World War II and their their contribution to the war effort. And I, you know, again, you don't, you know, you don't ever hear about that. So I was really fascinated to dig down deep and you know, you've heard it before, I'm sure. Like 90% of your research doesn't really end up in the book. But I hope that you know, there's just so much I could do and but I hope that it informs it in some way and at least you felt that way. So Maybe it came through, but I had a good time. I had a blast. <laughs> the theme of the book with the star-crossed lovers and finding mm-hmm. each other, beautiful. I you. wanted to point out how appreciative I was. So the second part with Satish, mm-hmm. in that she wasn't traditionally beautiful, they were still able to find each other and he was still able to find her beauty was Mm -hmm. something that resonated within me because a lot of times within stories like that or within, you know, finding your soulmate, because I've wondered Mm -hmm. stuff like that. Like, well, what if my soulmate is stuck in, (laughs) stuck in somebody ugly and what am I supposed to (laughs) How will I know? And seeing that written, I was just like, oh, so I'll just see them as beautiful. Okay, cool. (laughs) Clear that up for you. I'm so glad. You know, you're speaking to a girl whose first crush was Yoda. (laughs) I clearly don't place a whole lot of value. (laughs) But no, I love that about her. I mean, she has a traditionally boys, she has an traditionally Indian boys name. Mm-hmm. You know, I thought about being a young girl during that time and the danger of being considered yeah. pretty, which is a theme that I, I explore in a couple of my books. You know, this idea that, you know, beauty is, is just all you want to be, you know, that traditional beauty, whatever it is in that culture and how the freedom of not appearing that way gives you the ability to find and define your beauty for yourself. Right. Which I think ultimately is what August is so attracted to. He's, he's attracted to the fact that she is different and she's had the opportunity to do that because people ignored her. You know what I mean? Because they were going towards a quote unquote, traditionally beautiful. And she gets a chance to be much more spectacular because she defines herself. Right. I love that. Their story was one of my favorites. 
whenever I think about it again, I decide a different one is my favorite. So never mind. <laughs> no, but that's what we're talking about this one right now. So this right one is part. my favorite. <laughs> It's like a Prince song. It depends which one you're listening to. <laughs> so one of the characters was a black girl nerd. That's right. Her cute little Wookiee backpack. On her That's right. With science fiction. <laughs> That's right. And I just wanted to thank you for writing about me. <laughs> you're welcome. It was so easy. I happen to have a Yoda book bag and we we miraculously have a lot in common. <laughs> yeah. In all seriousness, it's not often that um, black girls get to see themselves in fiction, especially science fiction. So this was just a breath of fresh air. It's not often that we allow, that we see ourselves being loved in any type of fiction. Ooh. So just... Uh, Thank you so much for creating something this beautiful. You're welcome. It was so much fun. <laughs> and we never get to be nerdy. And there are like a lot there of us. There are so many. Yes. And I just, the, the more I that. see, the more I think back on my nerdy, lonely self. <laughs> thinking <laughs> only you knew <laughs> how many there were. <laughs> I know, I know. And it was great to just put that and just have that be normal because it is normal. You know, it's my reality. So So there's this one quote in particular um, that resonated with me again. And it's, I always thought men like women who follow and I never wanted to follow anyone or they liked women who could lead them. And I've never wanted to lead a man. I just wanted someone who could walk with me and somehow we would be walking in the same direction. Because, listen, I tried to put that on a t-shirt and it didn't. (laughs) It's very hard to express sentiments like that when talking about what you want from romantic love and not wanting defined. I don't know how to even. (laughs) I talk a lot about defined gender roles and and all of that and feminism. So. When I came across that line and I reread it several times <laughs> to myself, I was like, this is this is all I've been saying forever. <laughs> I just wanted to ask what that line meant to you and how you feel about it within your life, if it was actually you or if it was just the character <laughs> talking. It is okay. me. I, I used to say that as a little girl. I thought I would never... Oh, gosh. All right. I'll go here. You know, as a young girl, I thought I would never get married Mm -hmm. because I thought, and she says men, but I thought boys like girls who follow and I don't want to follow anyone, you know? And I thought boys don't like girls that have their own opinion and aren't trying to figure out what they want to do or how they think I should be. It takes a long time for me to figure out what I think about me. So I don't have any I don't have any extra to try to figure out what you think about me. And I just thought, yeah, I'm never I'm probably never going to get married cuz boys don't like girls like me. When I tried to imagine what I wanted, yeah, it was someone that I didn't have to follow and someone I didn't have to lead. That we would just be going walking in the same direction together. And I I remember saying that when I was 
like 13, 14. And just thinking that, yeah, I would just probably never really find somebody because I'd never seen that before. But I'm here to say it's possible. You know, it's totally possible. Yeah. So no, when I, when I wrote that, there are lots of little pieces of me and that's, that's like a, a big one because that's what I actually thought. Yeah. That you're a very profound 13 year old. Um, (laughs) That's wow. That's beautiful. So I know that they're all like your babies, but which reincarnation was most dear to you? And I know this is such a cliched answer, but it's true. I like them all for different reasons. <laughs> I love the certainty of part one. I love the discovery and this and the sacrifice of part two, particularly with August. That last half of the book, or of that section, he not even half, like the last 25%, he discovers who he is. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I just really was so excited for him because he was such a lost little, I mean, you know, to me, Satish is just badass. She starts out that way. She ends up that way. But August is really a mess when she first meets him. And through through her, he discovers who he is. And I was really proud of him for that. You know, in part three, I don't, I'm trying not to give too much away. Yeah, I shouldn't say this. I love the female lead in part three. <laughs> she is so powerful. I mean, when you think, well, I can say this. She is a woman who plays a major role in the U.S. military effort in World War II. <laughs> now, if you know anything about World War II and the role of women. I mean, they didn't even let women of any color into the U.S. military until very late in the game. When you think about the character that she is and the kind of focus and purpose she had to have to do what she did, you know, it's amazing. I mean, it's no wonder why Ichiru worships her. Like, why wouldn't he? She's totally badass. You know what I mean? And I love part three because they find not just each other, but I feel like they arrive at the same point. Like they find themselves and their purpose at the same moment. You know what I mean? And do something really profound with that. Um, so I love that. And then part four, you know, it's, it has more humor than the first three parts because I mean, you know, by the time you get to part four, you need a little humor. You know what I mean? <laughs> You need a little time laugh. <laughs> a little emotionally drained, just a little. Um, you know, I, I tend to be intense. Remember, I focus on the emotion, y'all. So, you know, I'm trying to rate wear you out. <laughs> and by part four. I, I loved it. But <laughs> Oh, thank you. I love it because it's, I feel like it's unique from what you see in romances in many different ways. Not just that it's, placed in the future, but also it's placed in Washington, D.C., which is my hometown. It was where I was raised. So I got a chance to envision a city that I love with all my heart. Okay. So I was reading it and I was like, this, (laughs) someone really loves this. (laughs) Yeah. 
It was a loving wave from the cherry blossom. I was just like, wow, I've been to DC. (laughs) This is beautiful. Maybe I I should go back. You got to take this the Reese tour (laughs) to DC. And, you know, I like to say there's Washington and then there's DC. And I'm from DC. Washington is what you hear on the news. That's the politics. That's the, you know, the national monuments. And that's beautiful. But part four is an ode to D.C., where I grew up, the houses that I've lived in, you know, the the places that I've eaten that still exist and have amazing food. So I'm not playing. Like when you read those descriptions, you're in D.C., you should go to those places. Oh, my goodness. So I do have to take the series tour. <laughs> Because yeah, I, I mean, got hungry. I got, I feel like I didn't see any of the scenery. I just. <laughs> Yay. I'm so glad. So that was beautiful and something unexpected. Mm-hmm. I did not know that the story would turn into that, but it was such a beautiful privilege. And then I loved the growth of the characters by part right. four. In many ways, they come full circle and I love to see them face a new challenge together. Right. You know, that's different from the other other three sections. Because the way you ended it, I, a lot of times when people end stories like that, I'm just like, wait, come back. I'm not finished. I want to know what <laughs> what happens. The way you ended it, I, I was good. <laughs> Yay! It was beautiful. You could have put, and then a next chapter happens and it's none of your business. <laughs> <laughs> and I would have been fine. <laughs> oh yay. Well, it's funny. I, I don't you know, an earlier version of it, maybe I stopped a little too soon and my beta reader was like, uh no. 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 You need I, I'm gonna need another page or two from you. <laughs> I was like, okay, okay. So, you know, I have a little help sometimes. My inclination is always now, I love to be brief. I'm not always brief, but I love to be like in the editing process. I get excited when I can cross out words. Like I just do. I love that. So, you know, sometimes I, people are like slow down. No, we need a little more here. So that's, that's always helpful, but I'm glad you like the ending. I love it too. Well, thank you so much. So final question, how would you categorize, because I read it and I was like, this doesn't, this is amazing. It doesn't fit into any of, any of anything, anybody, any of the categories. So how would you categorize your writing? The short answer is whatever the hell I want to write. <laughs> That's a short answer. You know, I, I call it historical romance because I want you to know that for the most part, you're taking a trip back in time. But as someone who's like written a sci-fi trilogy, to me, this is barely sci-fi, but I've read other people's, you know, reviews of it and they're like, oh, is it fantasy? Is it sci-fi? You decide. And I'm like, really? I was like, you know, it must just like, it leaks off me, I guess, you know, I thought I was being slick with it, but it like poured out anyway. <laughs> so I don't know. It's hopefully it's a love story. It's set in different time periods. And if you like a non-traditional love story, you'll like it. That's, that's how. That's I wouldn't say. That's probably not helpful at all. No, it was helpful. I just wanted to know how you felt about it. (laughs) I don't worry about genre. 
you know, as a reader, I never paid attention to it. Yeah. I would go in a bookstore. I would look at the cover, turn the book over. If I liked the description on the back, I would buy the book. It's only when I started writing and then wanting to publish what I wrote that I started paying attention to genre. I, I carry that into how I write. Like, I don't really care. <laughs> I'm just going to write this story and worry about it later. Hopefully I'll write a good enough description so you'll figure out if you'd like the book. And that's it. <laughs> Is there anything else that you want to add about the book or your work? No, just thank you for this <laughs> opportunity. I hope if folks check it out, they enjoy it. I love to hear from folks. So please let me know. Okay, before we go, can you tell people where they can find the book and where they can find you? The first place you can go is my website, www.cerisereniemurphy.com. That's C-E-R-E-C-E-R-E-N-N-I-E-M-U-R-P-H-Y.com. And the book is available, all the usual suspects, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, BAM, you, you name it. But my favorite suggestion is to go into your local independent bookstore. Tell them you want to find you. Um, they can look it up and they can order it for you and support you know, s some of our local small business institutions, which are the lifeline for, for so many authors. But you can also go to your library if you want it for free and just ask them to order it for you. Libraries are awesome too. Okay. I'm definitely going to get a hardcover copy because I still like the way books smell. Oh, thank you. I don't, I don't own an e-reader. I'm, I'm going to be the last of the Mohicans on it. I'm not a tech girl. Well, thank you so much for doing this once again. Thank you. Thank you so much, Torche. It's been an honor to talk with you. You as well. You have a wonderful night, okay? You too, dear. You too. The Black Girl Nerds podcast is produced by Jamie Brodnax. Various episodes are edited by Jamie Brodnax, M.R. Daniel, and John Bauer. The opening theme song to our show is written and performed by Samus. Various instrumentals are performed by Samus, Sky Blue, and Shubzilla. You can find episodes of the Black Girl Nerds podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play Music, Stitcher, Spreaker, and Spotify. That was a HeadGum Podcast.